If I had killed a little kid, accidentally or otherwise, I wouldn't have thought twice. I'd have killed myself on the fucking spot. On the fucking spot. I'd have stuck the gun in my mouth on the fucking spot. That's you, Harry. The boy has the capacity to change. The boy has the capacity to do something decent with his life. Excuse me, Ken. I have the capacity to change. Yeah, you do. You have the capacity to get fucking worse. Ah, oh, yeah, now I'm getting down to it. Harry, let's face it. And, and I've been funny. I mean, no disrespect. But you're a cunt. You're a cunt now. You've always been a cunt. And the only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. Maybe you have some more cunt kids. Leave my kids fucking out of here. What have they done? You fucking retract that bit about my cunt fucking kids. I retract that bit about your cunt fucking kids. Insulting my fucking kids? That's going overboard, mate. I retracted it, didn't I? You've been a fucking got that. Episode 144 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook and like us at the Cult of Matt and Mark or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to the Amazon and pick up my novel Nova Byzantium out now courtesy of Mass Books. It'll make a great virtual stocking stuffer for the kids. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you want to support the show... Uh, head over there and check it out. Uh, let's see. Show news, Mr. Hudson. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Christmas is coming up in just a couple of days. You done with your shopping? Uh, we went to the Northgate Mall today in... Well, that must have been uh, nice. Oh, it was unbelievably... What's the right word? Hive like. So you caught the third uh, Hobbit movie, and then uh, after three hours of that, you... you Hit, hit, Nor- hit Nordstrom's up and the Sportsman Chalet. And uh, the the, the child was with us, so it's basically like the clock is going as yeah. soon as you get out of the car. Is the clock like, poo-poo right. clock or is the clock cry-cry clock? It's uh, same, Yeah, it's, it's a little of both. So mm. uh, you get out, you go, all right, let's start hitting this. It makes you an efficient shopper because you're like, you're just one thing and you're not dilly-dallying because uh, you start to get the uh, subtle moans that then turn into screeches and then your time's up and you got to head the fuck back to the car maybe it helps uh, when you're like talking them down on prices you can set the baby up there and they're screaming and they just want to get you out of there so they'll cut you at 30 percent off wow if you you really need to turn up the heat you can just start changing the diaper right there right on the camera yeah that'll do it rose (laughs) used that tactic once to uh, get into our hotel room early we uh we're staying up uh at the Chrysler's 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 I always pronounce it wrong up in Bellingham. Nice kind of spa hotel. And uh checking at four, which I always thought was kind of extreme. Uh I was like, why not like one or two? Isn't that the normal hour? Yeah, that's and, pretty late. Yeah, and so we were up there and we had the baby and uh you know, we called at like one and say, Hey, can we check in our room? I was like, um no, the check in is at four. You know, one of these sort of stalwart uncorruptible uh, um yeah you're just gonna have to um come back later yeah and so uh rose basically 
uh, on their second call said, okay, well, do you mind if I change the baby and breastfeed in the lobby then while we wait? And she was like, um, let me check. It's like, oh, guess what? Your room is ready. And I was like, yeah, fuckers. Uh, I, I do uh, the same thing, but I just say masturbate in the lobby. Oh, even better. It's like, um, So I can yeah, run adult I, videos in the bar, that's, right? That's, I got on my iPad. You know, it's it's doctor's orders. So uh, I, 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 I apologize in advance. <laughs> Uh, I did see some live music this week. Uh, oh, I thought I saw a picture of uh, of a stage with lights on it. Uh, how, yeah. did the, how did that work out there? The stage with lights on it. So that's sadly all I could capture of the performance. Uh, it was good. I went down to the Soto Showbox, which I've been to previously. Rose and I went and saw OMD. Is that a different uh, Showbox? I must be because the yeah, normal two. Showbox is not south of the Dome. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that, the normal show box is like a pike in second or first or some shit like that. And this is, uh, down on, um, first, just, uh, oh, south, near the Krispy Kreme, south of the, uh, Safeco field. Oh yeah. God, that so. place is such a weird flat area. It is. I was wondering what was going on there back in the old, you know, back in the pre-smallpox times. What was, what was doing down there in the Duwamish Basin? Uh, uh, is th- that area might be all fill too? I think that was all floodplain. Like I think most it was all fill. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, but uh, caught up with an old high school friend, Sam. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And uh, it was a, we saw Skinny Puppy. Did I mention that already? Skinny the, uh, Puppy, huh? Venerable oh. industrial band, Skinny Puppy. Are which, they from uh, Seattle originally? No, they're from Vancouver, BC. Oh, okay. so uh, they sort of uh, captured the the nuance of a of a Northwest winter uh, as far as their uh, music is concerned. It's uh, extremely dark. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, I think uh, it's like they're thirty years old now. They're an old band, and so I went and I was like, God, what's the crowd going to be like? You know, and I get there and it's just a bunch of graying old dudes like me. <laughs> so, I was wondering if it was like, uh, like, eight, well, I mean, it had like aging gothers. I guess that's like the best one. You know, their, their mohawks are getting a little bit of salt and pepper in them. And, uh, you know, they're a little portly and most of them have, uh, you know, software jobs, that kind of thing. And they're all sitting around there and it's about 70, 30 gender ratio wise. Uh, so it didn't have kind of the menace. That uh, I would have expected of a crowd earlier in my youth. They were um, much tamer. So why weren't you riding the rail then if it was a bunch of pussies? Because <laughs> I'm too old for that shit. You just put like, the, put the gonna... baby carriage right up on the rail, clamp it in, get like a C-clamp or something. Those uh, yeah. big uh, uh, Pacific Islander guys aren't going to mess with you if you got a baby. <laughs> and that baby, man, the crowd surfs one-handed. I was in the bar section, so no kids allowed. So oh, I uh, if I would have been outside the bar, I would have done that. You would have brought your child. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was a good show. It was, uh, I'll, I'll say this, uh, Skinny Puppy, uh, an acquired taste, uh, definitely. Uh, but I was sitting there going, I am not bored watching this. I am truthful. I did not want the show to end. I was that bored. Uh, that not bored. I mean, oh, it really? Was, and I was like, that's really all you want out of a show. And, you know, some of the best shows I've been to, the music hasn't been that great, but I have not been bored during them. So, uh, like, Guar was a classic. Uh, unfortunately, Odorous Arungus has died. Yeah, that's So there a shame. will be no Guar shows. And uh, Rammstein, the German metal band, 
uh, of, of course, was uh, one of my most memorable shows. Lots They're of so fire. active. They might be coming through town. Who knows? Yeah, lots of fire. Lots of... Uh, uh, fake uh, dildos. I mean, it was, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's where the crossover with uh, Guar is, huh? I wonder if they use yeah, the well, same supplier of fake dildos and artificial semen. Shit, I, I guess fake dildo is what would you call that? It's uh, a great redundant. name for a band. It's it's redundant, right? Because a dildo, by definition, is a fake penis. Well, you mean so a, a fake, fake phallus dildo. is really the term. Yes, that's what I was looking for. A, a fake phallus. working phallus, though, complete with uh, plumbing. What's well, so, a plumbed faux phallus? Yeah. There we go. So really, kids, if if your favorite band, if you hear rumor that they have, a, a, what was our terminology, a completely plumbed fake phallus. I think I think uh, the word use. would be functional faux phallus. Yes. Uh, buy a ticket to that fucking show. It's going to be the best show you've ever seen. That's all i got to say. So uh, no complaints there. Anyway, so that was my week and uh, watching uh, our movie this week. Oh, did you have any show news, Mr. Hudson? Show news for you? No, that was it. I just wanted to bring up the Christmas shopping, which I completely, uh, I completed completely from my laptop this year, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, that's really the way Not to go. Not one store visit it worked out real well. I know. Yeah, I was like looking at those Black Friday, you know, I was like, who the fuck goes to a store to buy their shit anymore? I mean, I, I, I'm... Well, the Black Friday, I can understand. I wasn't really in the hop shopping mood at the time, but you can get some, you know, it's always good to... If you're going to give gifts to people, that, I mean, it's tough to buy gifts for people. You might as well buy shit that's on sale. I mean, why spend more money than you need to for a gift? I guess. It's just, it's this miracle world we live in where we n- never have to leave our house anymore. It's quite something. So, uh, anyway, uh, so uh, laptop shopping, that was that was you. You got it all done? Uh, yeah, I buy very few presents, though, with just some family gift exchange obligations and something for Gene, and that's it. Did you buy something for yourself? That's the most important part. Uh, <laughs> give a gift to myself? Yeah, man. You just got to, like, splurge a little around Christmas. At least um, I do. I'm, I, did I give a gift to myself? Um, I should go buy myself a bottle of scotch because I'm drinking tequila right now because I'm out of scotch. Ooh, I was going to ask, what, what are you drinking tonight? What do you got going on? some... Kirkland Signature Silver, Tequila Silver, and it really needs to be mixed with some lime juice. It is not I a, saw that up not, on the a, shelf. This is not Don Julio Reservo or whatever oh, it's called. This is, uh, uh, this is like s- sorority frat party caliber tequila. No, no, it's better than that, but you know, it's, a, it's a white tequila, so it doesn't really have a oh, white. super complex oh. flavor. It hasn't been aged. I'm enjoying uh, the Kilhoman, uh, a Western Isla. Uh, PD whiskey. Mm. Uh, picked it up tonight at the Total Wine. We were in the aisles, and Rose was. Uh, uh, it she there was like it's like the blind leading the blind. I I in in the Scotch aisles, I've managed to just sort of tune out uh, the conversations I'm hearing of the staff trying to recommend a whiskey to somebody who has no clue about whiskey. Mm-hmm. Have you tried so, that so uh, Captain Morgan's? Oh no, that's rum. <laughs> so they were mispronouncing Isla as Islay. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was like but that's how it's pronounced in Canada, by the way. So they might have been Canadian. <laughs> it's Islay. Is a Islay. Islay. Yeah. And uh, it was like uh, nails on a chalkboard to Rose. She she was just uh, indignant and offended. By well, because uh, because you've schooled her and 
and uh, and and they're saying, you know, the PD stuff is really the Highland stuff, you know, or something like that. <laughs> She's the most knowledgeable uh, Scotch uh, non-drinker who doesn't drink Scotch. There is, <laughs> she'll tell you what Scotch comes from, where, like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, and we've been to the island of Islas, so I guess maybe that was that was the most offensive part. But uh, I was like, and she goes, "Why aren't you just? A, why do you ever pipe up at those guys?" I'm like, "Ah, fuck it, it just ain't worth my time." I, I you know, blind leading the blind. Not, I used to like kind of pipe up, but then it was sort of an asshole move. You know, I was like, uh, "Don't listen to the the help here. Why don't you go pick this up? This will do you nice." But I just don't. There's care. sometimes people know what they're talking about at those places. No, they didn't know what they were talking about here. There's a few places I've been where the guys are pretty knowledgeable, but these guys are just kind of like, yeah, this one is popular, and I, and I was just like, whatever. And what so, were they recommending? Oh, like a Lafroig 10 or something like that. I was like, yeah, that's fine. You're not going to go wrong with that. Well, so. I mean, that seems like a fine way to go. You know, something. I mean, there's no reason if you're not an aficionado to buy a 15 or 20 for four, 20 year old one. That's for that's for later. Yeah, it was just weird. Rose was snobbing out, and she doesn't even drink scotch. I just thought that was hilarious. And I was just like, yeah, fuck them. Whatever. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Throw enough money at that wall. You'll figure out what scotch you like. Mm-hmm. All right. This week, our film is the 2008, I'd almost call it a classic, uh, in Bruges. Uh, what would you like for the plot rundown, Mr. Hudson? Short or long? Well, and, and be honest. Uh, this movie... Boy, if you really wanted to give a long plot synopsis, you could really do it. But I, I don't, I don't know if that's for the best. I think it might be better just to leave it where the movie leaves it in the first twenty minutes with a basic setup. Oh man, that's that you've you've given me a sticky wicket here. I, I I'm having problems because like the the there's a super short one, and then there's one that I think maybe will conjure a little bit more conversation topics on our end. But well, I, then let, let's, let's go with the longer one as long as I can interject occasionally. But yeah, please keep, keep your spot right. so we pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Just just yell, fuck off when you have something to say, and then I'll stop. That'll be the best way to go about it here. So uh, Bruges, pronounced Bruges, <laughs> the most well-preserved medieval city in the whole of Be- Belgium, is a welcoming destination for travelers from all over the world. But for a hitman, Ray and Ken, it could be their final destination. Difficult job has resulted in the pair being ordered right before Christmas by their London uh, boss, Harry, to go and cool their heels in the storybook Flemish city for a couple of weeks. Very much out of place amidst the Gothic architecture, canals, and cobbled streets, the two hitmen fill their days living the lives of tourists. Ray, still haunted by the bloodshed in London, hates the place, while Ken, even as he keeps a fatherly eye on Ray's often profanely funny exploits, finds his mind and soul being expanded by the beauty and serenity of the city. But the longer they stay waiting for Harry's call, the more surreal their experiences become as they find themselves in weird encounters with locals, tourists, violent medieval art, a dwarf American actor shooting a European art film, Dutch prostitutes, and a potential romance by Ray in the form of Chloe, who may have some dark secrets of her own. And when the call from Harry does finally come, Ken and Ray's vacation becomes a life-and-death struggle of darkly comic proportions and surprisingly emotional consequences. I didn't even pipe up once there. That's it, though. Um, I mean, it's it seems like a pretty straightforward uh, synopsis. Pretty good. I mean, it's interesting that they talk about the transformation of Ken, which is not something I'd really had thought about. Nah, not really, but yeah. I think I think it's it's probably true. Yeah, I mean, Ken's struggle is a little more quiet than the extroverted uh, Ray. 
so um, this this film has a lot of um I mean this is a character film obviously right I mean it's it's uh, and a conversationally based character film well I mean this this movie is nearly perfect and nearly perfect it's uh yeah. it's got an amazing screenplay absolutely beautiful screenplay and then it's got great performances on top. It's just one of those movies that everything came together, which is one reason. God, I was so disappointed by Seven Psychopaths. I know this movie yeah, is such I, a, this movie is so amazing. Instead of Seven Psychopaths, it's so sort of blah. I mean, it's got moments, but this movie, God, this movie, it doesn't have it. Except for some, I mean, I guess you could blow little holes in the plot near the end, but God, the dialogue is so. So tight. This is this is a wonderfully crafted film all around. So uh, I'm in agreement, and I think that's why. Like I, like to me, this this (laughs) this is like what Quentin Tarantino might have strived at if he continued sort of with his conversationally based. Yeah, except uh, he went he went sort of the wrong direction with his. You mean he? He took the over the topness of the pulp fiction and sort of ran with it instead of taking the conversations and running with it. That's yeah. Interesting. So I, I like, I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah. This is, I mean, I like Tarantino, uh, and I've enjoyed his movies and there were, there were parts of like, um, Django Unchained that were, you know, had, you know, the sort of yeah, really zesty dialogue, but, and then it just like, it, do you, do you mean everything got blown out of proportion? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think about that, that similarity, but yeah, there is, there is some nice similar dialogue like that. It's funny and serious at the same time. It's really great. Right. So it's like a more perfect, I guess it would have been, uh, I don't know. I think I made my point on it, but, uh, it had that air about it, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting, interesting, almost perfect film, I -hmm. guess, for what it sets out to do. And uh, it's interesting because Colin Farrell obviously is is uh, he, he's a hit or miss kind of actor. Unfortunately, I mean, I always think of him as is sort of you know uh, an A lister, but sometimes you just get sent the wrong roles, and uh, I don't know quite what it is about him, but uh, he has like some kind of simmering potential there. Oh, he's uh, he's perfect in in this movie. Um, I mean, maybe hits his wheelhouse. Be quite honest, I don't really have a huge opinion of uh, Colin Farrell. I mean, what else has he been in that I've seen? I mean, I didn't see the. He was in the action movie, the reboot of um, uh, Total Recall, right? Yeah, um, he was in some period piece called The New World or something, which was supposed to be pretty good. Was that Von Lars von Trier? movie oh the new world was a terrence malick film. oh terrence malick yeah yeah that was a little too terrence malicky for me mm, yeah no, I, I haven't really been <laughs> Terrick, malick. terrence malick is a hard one to swallow uh because you're like am i watching a nature nature film did i get stoned what happened you know uh-huh. when you watch terrence malick Where'd the last three and a half hours go yeah but he's surprisingly good in things that are like you wouldn't expect him to be good in like fright night which is a reboot of the old 80s movie. I think it's actually really decent in. Uh, I'm looking at a lot of his stuff. He's kind of got sent a lot of uh, sort of splats on the thermometer. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I maybe mean, maybe is inconsistent, or maybe he just doesn't have a great knack for picking screenplays. Like, I thought Miami Vice was okay, and he got a, that was a, a, a booed movie. 
Um, yeah, not a lot of good stuff, but a lot of action kind of roles, you know. Because um, mm-hmm. he's a handsome nothing, bloke. Yeah, nothing nothing like too standout-ish. But on the, this one, I would say is his, uh, what would you say, his his masterpiece so far. I I mean, he plays Ray perfectly with his boyishness. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I just don't want to say about the Ray character. You know, the only the weird thing watching this film is it contrasts so nicely with uh, the Machinist. I mean, I was really pretty amazed. Actually, it's, oh, the guilt. I, th- I think it's really they... neat that you pick these two movies basically in a row because they deal basically with the same subject. And Killing we see, a kid. We see two different people wrestling with the guilt over their accidental killing of a child. And um, and it's really neat to see how these two different characters um, deal with it. And you can see how In Bruges is a, is, is a much better film than The Machinist. Well, yeah. and he, I, not, the, not the... The Machinist is a, great, a, a good film. But man, it just... When I was... I mean, contrasting those characters, you can just see how, how great In Bruges really is. That was really a, well. A yeah, I mean movies. the way that I think the way that the uh, Ray character deals with uh, the guilt is obviously a much more realistic portrayal than than creating a parallel world uh, of schizophrenia of schizophrenic fueled reality. You know what I mean? Well, uh, I mean, I, I guess I, I see what you mean. I like I like both of their portrayals, but uh, this was it's just. I mean, you get, you get the bravado that the character exhibits. Um, you get the charm. You can see like. How charming he is, even despite his uh, station, and you know, his current station. Yeah, his turmoil is inside, yet he's still going on. It's just, it's just you really feel this conflicted, conflicted character, and I think he does a great job uh, portraying it throughout the entire film. Uh, my friend Emma was over when we were watching it, and she was going, "How the fuck does he do that with his eyebrows?" Oh yeah, How his eyebrows are going Colin- crazy. How the fuck does Colin Farrell manipulate his eyebrows? And well, I, I think we it's, like it's, all... it's a lot easier when you have thick eyebrows. Like, I have blonde eyebrows, and I can move them all around, but you hardly notice. But he has those big, dark eyebrows. You see, you see him flipping around. Well, yeah, and, like, for whatever reason, he can... Uh, his facial expressions are, are enhanced, especially sort of those um, kind of puppy dog sort of... St- uh, expressions that he makes from time to time in the film uh you know a sort of a half confusion half emotional distress you know when when he like uh, either is coming to terms with 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 his guilt or what he's done or just mm-hmm. kind of you know frustration all that good stuff so you know one, yeah one thing i wanted to mention about the machinist tie-in sorry to i just want to go ahead it right now is that the way it reveals the cause of the of the struggle within the main character of the film, this this movie reveals it really early, and lets us yeah you get it in window. the flashback yeah and it's like it's like in the twenty second minute or something, and um, I think that's really neat because then you can sort of you know what the character's dealing with, and I don't know it gives you a window into you know you're looking for every little body language and every time he bites his lower lip a little bit or there's. His eyes glass up. It's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, you're sort of you have like a lot more nuanced insight into characters, uh, maybe than I do. Sadly, I'm much more 
plot focused mm. a lot of the time when I watch film and I know you're more much more motivation focused. And I was trying to think of a theme, like the theme of In Bruges. And oh, well, I mean it's really it's just about moralities. Every character is trying to figure out what their choices should be. What's their moral choice? And everybody has their own struggle. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious we're talking about Ray. His struggle is, should I go on? I mean, he's suicidal. He talks about it quite a bit. He almost kills himself one time. I mean, he's. I think anybody, if you had done what he had done, he would be racked with guilt. And he's trying to figure out, should I live? And at the end, he sort of resolves it a little bit with a VO. Right. Um, And then, I mean, the Ken character, which I I did like about that intro you read, uh, talking about his change. And, you know, it's it's more subtle. And, uh, I mean, the thing with um, Brendan Gleeson, he's got to be one of the top ten actors currently he's a fucking amazing actor man that guy i mean you know he you you realize that he was like he was in braveheart mm -hmm. he uh you know he played um oh uh he was in uh, 28 days later oh yeah yeah he's played these really like rangy roles that he gets you know yet he plays them with like such sort of precision and uh I don't know. He's he's one of those actors that uh, uh, he, he's just, he's an amazing actor. Yeah, he's just and he's an Irishman and uh, oh, he's in the Edge stuff. of Tomorrow. I got to see that. Yeah, I know, movie. I know. He he's like he's in a ton of shit. He and, was in uh, Gangs of New York. I really shit. liked him in that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was watching this and I was I was thinking about you know you mentioned morality and you have sort of kind of these extremes you have harry which yeah, is Harry's the other of... character that struggles with I me mean, it's those three characters struggling with their moral codes and, well and harry and the weight of the choices they have to make based on those and harry uh is it what would you say uh, oh harry's like this these he's this absolutist that i love i love these characters who have an absolute code and uh they don't waver on it they're, it's almost like they're almost monkish in their rules. Well, I was thinking like of the him Dalai Lama. And the Anton Sugar character from Old Country or No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I love that character, yeah. And and have their these rigid mm-hmm. rigid codes mm-hmm. uh that kind of turns them into monsters. It does. It's interesting it's interesting that that when you take a human being and and you flesh out the gray you're left with like pure black and white decision making Mm -hmm. and you get you get like monsters by doing that you know i always think of uh uh the simplicity of like the bush administration you know this sort of like gut it's in my gut and it's either right or it's wrong and and this dismissal of nuance Mm. and well uh you know all all the the shades of gray that you have to consider when see, making a decision. I, I just then, I just I don't know if that was a public face of George W. Bush, but I don't I don't I think that the administration itself was actually rather amoral and and in in nothing but a shade of gray. I mean, just thinking about the torture report that came out. 
I mean, right. it's not a person dealing that deals with black and white. I mean, in the reality, when they argue about, you know, what's what's exactly what's when they're when they're having a legalistic argument about what's torture or not. That's not a black and white. That's about grays, and you know whether or not you can pump some. You can pump hummus up somebody's ass or not. Yeah. Whether that's okay <laughs> or not. That's not really an argument that you should have if you live in Well, that wasn't the argument, the by world. the way. That was absolutely. And the uh, argument was, did pumping uh, hummus up somebody's ass work? Well, see, that's, see that, yeah, that's a wrong. I mean, that's where you're living in a world of grays. I mean, I think that um, I think that you can get, if you go on either end, it's a weird spectrum. When you think of a spectrum, you think black and white. But I'm, I'm really thinking more about... If if you really categorize, if you live in a black and white world with a strict court, or you, you live in a completely pragmatic mindset where everything's gray, uh, I think at both ends of those extremes, you get monsters. You get where world is all gray. You get the the practical monster of a Dick Cheney, and when the world yeah. is all black and white, you get characters like Anton Chigurh or um, or Harry uh, Waters, right. Well, yeah, maybe you know, it was in the right analogy. No, no, uh, I just, I mean, I think you're right. There was a public face of that, uh, but I think that was more of the, well, George W. Bush called it propaganda, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, maybe the maybe the Anton Sugar analogy was a little bit more uh, apt in this case. See, I think uh, in the world we live in, in reality, we live in a world of gray monsters, not of black and white monsters. And maybe that's one reason I find these characters so... But... So like fixing for me. Harry, you know, he has this code, this hitman code, that uh, if you kill a kid mm-hmm. in a job, uh, you know, or no matter the anywhere. excuse, yeah, no matter the excuse, no matter. I mean, it seems to me that that if there like is a car accident that occurs sort of in the periphery of your job and a kid is killed then you're liable and then you have mm. to be put then you have to be killed i get that kind of impression right he's like a purist uh, yeah I, I mean to a certain extent i think you know you wonder where he would draw the line but certainly you can't say that i mean no matter how how you want to speak you can't say ray is not responsible for the death of that kid from a legalistic standpoint uh obviously he is just because that's the legal code where you know any sort of Anybody who dies in the committing of a crime, you're guilty of that person's death simply because it was caused by you committing another crime. But on a sense of like just from a managerial standpoint, that's just sloppy work. He uh, should know yeah. what's behind his target, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, to to not take that into consideration. You mm-hmm. know. So so you have Ray, which is this uh I guess pure is he a pure I mean is he an ideologue or is he just a he's a pure like he has this code this unwavering code Ray? Uh, you mean Harry? No, Harry. I apologize. Yeah, Harry has this unwavering unwa- code. Mm-hmm. And then you have Ray who is sort of the guilt-racked suicidal charmer, strangely. Well, he's more uh, of a child. True. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Ken mm-hmm. and Ken to me is, is I, I think one of the most interesting characters in this because his motivations are a little bit more ooh, deeper in the past. He's more of a reasonable man than any of, oh, extremely reasonable, like more reasonable than you would expect any hitman to ever be. 
you know. Yeah, he's about the nicest hitman you'd ever seen. To have like a level of empathy there that, you know, he takes, I mean, it, it's it's maybe unbelievable. Maybe that's just a little terror. In, well, in I the, mean, I in, saw something in, in this, this movie, this careful viewing, as I usually do for the podcast. I view them more carefully than I had in the past, the film. And I caught a piece of the plot that uh, it's not this, this movie's not really spoon fed to the viewer. It doesn't tell you things twice. And there's something I had missed before. There's a reveal about a halfway through the film that gets at the ca- connection between Harry Waters and Ken. And why is Ken loyal to Harry, even though Harry's a cook? As yeah, cool. discussed, discussed with the uh, the bed and breakfast lady, is that Harry Waters killed the murderer of Ken's wife? Okay, you get the, you get the impression that that's the case. I mean, you, you no, know that you that ex- his wife you're explicitly you're explicitly told that's the case. Okay, maybe I missed that too. Yeah, I had missed it on of... my previous one or two viewings before. Uh so you have a feeling that there's a huge debt he owes to Harry. He's a man that has his codes, too. I mean, look how close Ken comes to actually killing Ray. And he would have, likely, uh, in a very yeah. strange location. But um, he, um, but uh, I think that he was really struggling with whether or not he should um, basically go against his, uh, I don't know, his lo- break his loyalty to Harry. And he decides that's the right choice. That's his great moral choice he has to make. That he has to uh, not follow through with the man who, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, avenged his mm-hmm. loss. Yeah, basically yeah. the man he's given his service to, is his liege, basically, has to. Well, it's just. I mean, and the cost when, could be very high, and it ends up being very high. Well, it's interesting in that conversation in the bell tower. It's very Hitchcockian, very Vertigo-esque. I thought a little bit there. Oh, no it's a great conversation. I, I didn't catch any. I didn't, I didn't capture any of it for the podcast. Well, it's it's, just it's, the, it's really beautiful, and I think it gets to the point that um, Harry's not a not necessarily a monster. I mean, Harry no. has a heart too. I mean, you see it even in the in the when we first see Harry's character when he destroys that phone and calls his wife an inanimate <laughs> object in just a wonderful bit of dialogue, and then he <laughs> you know then he immediately apologized to about it a few minutes later i mean he is he's crazy in a sense but he's not a monster i don't think i love that scene where he smashed the phone i remember i was uh i was up on capitol hill once and uh sitting in my car i think i was waiting for my girlfriend at the time to come out of her apartment i forget i was just sitting there this korean grocery store uh convenience store and there's some like you know a half homeless dude and he just walks up to, like, the pay phone. He, like, picks it up, listens to it for, like, five to ten seconds, and then proceeds to just bash the fucking receiver into the phone until it's just in shattered, like, there's no more of it left, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he just, like, quietly drops what's left of the phone off the cord and then just wanders away. And then, like the Korean like clerk comes out and it's like what the fuck and he sees the phone just <laughs> totally destroyed. It was like the most weird uh like mellow form of vandalism I'd ever seen. I mean it was just like the guy totally destroyed this phone just wham 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 until like the whole plastic casing around the receiver shatters and then mm-hmm. wanders off. Have you, you ever know? just destroyed a something out of I've, sheer anger? I 
I, I I dream that that would be cathartic. Like if I was in a horrible co- phone conversation with like an asshole, mm-hmm. that I could just bash the receiver like of an old. I mean, nobody has phones like that anymore. Most people are on uh, uh, cell phones. I guess you could toss your cell phone, you know. But uh, I think I might have done that. I think I might got pissed on the phone in my car and then winged it into the corner. Mm-hmm. I think I might have done that, but I didn't ever have the 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 uh, satisfaction of totally bashing a phone in after a, a shitty conversation with anybody. I've there wanted some, to. There's something satisfactory about destroying something that doesn't deserve it. Um, have you, have you done good. that? Oh yeah, at times. Ho- it's, hobos, it's, it's better hobos, than, homeless people. That kind <laughs> never, of thing. never people. Yeah. Only, only walls and other small oh, objects. Punched a wall, Mr. Hudson. I've uh, punched a hole. I've been known to punch a hole through drywall. <laughs> really? Well, what are you going to punch a person? You. No, I've never punched a person. Uh, that's I, just, I mean, sometimes you just need to let it out. And, you know, you can always. I've kicked stuff. I think I've kicked something mm-hmm. like uh, at one time. I remember. I remember once, once I was... when I was uh, in college working at my hospital job. I got really pissed one time and. I kicked the shit out of a garbage can, like a metal garbage can, and then people kept teasing me about it because the garbage can was had a big dent in it for the rest of the time uh-huh. I worked there. <laughs> <laughs> somebody saw you do it, or they just knew you bashed it. No, no, somebody saw me do it. I remember once I uh, I was I was uh, I had some really frustrating uh, junior senior level physics class, and I was living up on the like seventh or eighth floor of the apartment complex I was at. Mm-hmm. And I just got totally pissed at this textbook that wasn't worth a shit. And uh, I just totally, like, hung out my window and I just winged that bitch into the <laughs> into the parking lot below. <laughs> felt See, so awesome. good. Yeah, that Like, good. I threw it so hard that it didn't reach terminal velocity. Like, uh-huh. it was actually doing some mean speed by the time I, like, <laughs> I think it, just totally sort of, it was sort of a bit of a, there was a bit of a aerodynamic lift as it spun around yeah, the Frisbee. Yeah. And, and it hit so hard, the, the spine <laughs> shattered and I think it like blew into multiple parts and, <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, that felt so fucking good. There's a hundred and then I was like, down the toilet. <laughs> and then I, yeah, exactly. 180 bucks. And then of course I had to go down and collect all the, you know, pieces of it and fucking duct tape it together. <laughs> yeah, but in a sense, there's a piece came to you, you know, doing that. Uh, so yeah, maybe, oh, yeah. Maybe no, it was it felt, worth it. It felt wonderful, this book that had been torturing me all night. And then I just says, oh, fuck you, you know, and I, I, I just ruined it. It was awesome. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's fine to let it out, but let it out on something inanimate, you know, something that's yeah. yours, something you pay the price for. Exactly. So, uh, did we get to the bottom of Ken? He seems... Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we got... I mean, I guess, in a, in, a, in a way, the story is rather simple. It is pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, but it's just... Um, but I think it's it carries a lot of weight with it, with every every character going through this struggle. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know, it's just about this movie, just... Well, everybody can, is Everybody's so... believable, I think. And yeah, you can sort of understand every... their position, and you can... I hate to use this word, but you can sympathize with them, even though I, I, hate, I hate the term sympathy because it gets oh, thrown around so cheaply. But I think well, this is a case where you really can. You know what? I You know the way I use sympathy, sympathy these days? Hmm? I, I Sympathy is empathy where you can't really put yourself in the person's shoes. You know what I mean? Like uh, sympathy is what you give to people that you can't. Like you empathize with people. Um, 
you know, who have maybe lost a family member, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. you have lost a family member, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but you, if, if you've never lost a family member in a certain way, then you just have to offer sympathy, right? Yeah. I mean, sympathy empathy. is empathy is, you know, cheap whore. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> but, but I'm to put that in a Hallmark have. card. <laughs> I can only offer you sympathy, empathy. I'm cheap sorry whore. you have cancer, but I've never had <laughs> cancer, so all I can do is give you empathy's cheap whore. My sympathies, <laughs> sympathy. best wishes. <laughs> yeah, it's like synthetic empathy. Sympathy. See, see how yeah, it works. Yeah, I mean, I've. I guess I've always sympathy's always left a bad taste in my mouth, but it doesn't have to. I mean, if it's really, you can if you really think about it, you can put together. a a pretty good. I mean, look, you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes to a certain degree. It's always better if you've been in those shoes, by far. Yeah, uh, but I think I think some people are just you know who are sort of these faux bleeding hearts to sympathize with everybody. Oh fuck! Yeah, I just the can't people... imagine that's that's that they're. How can they really be feeling that way? But I mean, maybe some people. I think some people have a more natu- more of a knack for it. I, I tend. I, I, I tend. I, I tend to weigh. I tend to try to rely on empathy if I can. I, I cynically call those people co-opters of tragedy, you know, uh, the, um, the, the, the white affluent, uh, urbanites, uh, you know, uh, um, I can't breathe t-shirt, you know what I mean? Uh, that kind of shit. I, I can't that, breathe t-shirt. Oh, you know, the whole, um, uh, oh, there's the something about thing. some guy suffocated cause a cop was sitting on him. That oh one? man, where have you been? I don't pay attention to the news sake. any longer, man. I don't. I don't oh, need to be reminded Jesus. about. I'm going through a midlife crisis. I can hardly keep my own shit together. I'm not paying right, any man. attention to all the right. news. I don't want to get into it on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> all right. Let's say. Uh, let's just say that uh, the white affluent demographic is is not uh, can't really empathize with the. Um, never Was mind. it a black guy or something? Yeah, I was a black guy. I got uh, killed by cops, choked to death on the oh. street. It was all filmed. And, what was that? Uh, Eric Garner was the individual's name. Where was this and, at? Uh, what's that? Where was this at? Uh, New York. Staten oh, Island. God. Didn't, didn't a couple of cops get shot today or something? Yeah, they I got I like, saw that on the, my Google site or on... Uh... Yeah. Was that was that and, revenge for that? Uh, allegedly. But, it you sounded know, like it was whatever. some sort of crazy guy who did it. As you That's, That's always a crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, crazy. anyway, so the whole, uh, like, I can't breathe thing was what the guy said before he got choked out and killed. And uh, oh, yeah, so now I, I did. I heard something on NPR about the, about reserve lung capacity and that you can actually, you can, you can, uh, if somebody's compressing your chest, you can exhale because there's quite a bit of reserve capacity in your lungs. But you can't inhale because uh, if, you, if your lungs get too deflated, they have trouble reinflating, and if there's any pressure on your chest, you're sort of fucked. So you got yeah. like you got like a couple liters of air that you can say some stuff with, but you can't get any back in. That's too bad. Like, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I didn't want to go there, but mm. uh, yeah. So uh, lots of sympathy, uh, but not any empathy. I'm afraid. Well, end, speaking maybe, of maybe that, if you were. Um, asthmatic i mean you could you could understand that feeling of not being able to breathe it must be terrible and i don't think that's what they were talking about anyway but i want to get back to that physiology because i was thinking of uh, ken's fall is it ken from the bell tower oh god that is such a wonderful piece that's so wonderfully filmed i love whoa i love the um the mist of lymph and blood as he hits the ground i've heard that's what it actually looks like he just like 
like like like a fucking Gallagher smashing a watermelon. I mean, just totally. I think I think I, I think blast that's blood really out. Happens. I think it happens in like when you get shot and stuff too, like in wars when you get hit by. a Well, I was wondering how they did that scene. Did they like maybe take some sort of a pig carcass and put a bunch of blood in it and drop it? I mean, it was it was sort of obscured, but when it I mean, they when the body with, hit, they could have done it with computer graphics. I mean, this is 2008. Oh, no, I don't think. Uh, no, this movie, uh, thankfully, has very little special effects in it. So but they're, they're wonderfully done. That and the uh, midget's missing face. Oh, my God. Just right yeah. at the edge of the shot. It's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. it's, re- it's really nice when they do do it. You know what I was thinking? I was yeah. thinking this movie would be perfect if they had put Dinklage in that role. I mean, I like the midget that was in it. Sad, I just said the midget, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess I don't know. I, I thought you know, I personally I thought Jimmy, Jimmy's Jimmy was a really great character. God, he was a great even, character. Even the tertiary characters, like, um, well, let's go over them. Let's let's talk about. Uh, uh, I got, I got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a little quote from, from Jimmy. How's the movie going? It's a jumped up Euro trash piece of rip off fucking bullshit. nice well that is such an awesome i mean we haven't talked about the movie in the movie i mean we can it's not it's not as important as you might imagine it more acts as a foil this jimmy character is really neat and it's sort of a foil to show ray's childlikeness with his fascination well yeah because he he totally gets this frat boy like fascination with with the whole midget thing yeah it's a child like i mean i guess in the sense that a frat boy might. i just love when he he waves at at jimmy from across across the mm-hmm. and Jimmy just like yeah whatever and he just is he just he just he's very it. boyish he's just like oh it's like what did I do you know <laughs> yeah I really liked all the scenes with the Jimmy of course there's no scene I don't like in this movie but when they're talking about the the race wars and, oh, and, the, and the, Ray karate chops him oh yeah <laughs> and they're all they're hot they're fucking high on cocaine it's it's really awesome it's an awesome I just love the fact that Jimmy is is. You get the, the the sense that he's, uh, I mean, maybe he's just maybe maybe all little people have this. Uh, uh, what's the armor? This personal armor on. Oh, I guess you you, you must develop a, a thick skin. But Jimmy, you could definitely tell. You know that actor uh, just use that to the hilt. Like he was like he, watching Jimmy is like I know ex- you get you can almost empathize with little people's plight watching that film right you know because like everything well, you, 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 sim- do, you can only sympathize matthew i know i can only sympathize but well, like okay, sympathize so- is weak it can be weak but i think well thought out you can use it um yeah i mean the character seemed real because he was sort of a dick and but he was also a real person at the same time there's there's not really no really suit two-dimensional characters you know another character i really liked is i really like chloe and she could have been she could have been really incidental to the plot but i don't know i just had a feeling about that character she was pretty but she wasn't beautiful yeah and you could tell all the faults she had and there's some really nice um interactions with her and ray and here's a here's here's a just a tiny bit of dialogue between the two of them i just knew someone like you would never like someone like me oh god i just knew someone like me you know someone nice i love that line I love I love that bit of dialogue. Someone nice. I mean, it, it's after all this mayhem with the blanks. Oh yeah, he shoots that fucker in the face with the blanks, and uh, and he's sitting there whining. But and and that's what he says that you know a new 
no way like you would ever like me. Some it's just it's like right up there with um as good as it gets, you know, you want you uh make me want to be a better man. I think yeah. as far as yeah, it's is incredibly romantic lines because they have such a heart of honesty in them. I've I've always I've always really maybe some you know sometime I can use that line on somebody. Yeah. Um go for it Mr. Hudson. See here uh since we're going through the characters um there's one interaction in this movie that uh, the first time I saw it floored me. It's more just funny than anything else, but it's also dark at the same time. I guess that gets to the the idea of this darkly comic movie. But this is probably the one of the more comic elements. It has to do with the uh, character of Yuri, the oh, local Yuri. Uh, 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 dealer in uh, arms. A believable in, Russian arms dealer, if there ever was one. <laughs> he's got that smoking jacket on. Oh, uh, he's great. Awesome. His fucking apartment, man. I could, I could totally get high in his apartment. Yeah, yeah. this is an apartment. Jesus. You get high, maybe experiment with your homosexuality a little bit. What? No. So, uh, so here, here's a little bit of... Uh, this is actually a rather lengthy little piece, so here you go. There are a lot of alcoves in the Koningang Astrid Bar. You use this word, alcoves? Alcoves, yes. Sometimes. There are not many people around in these alcoves in Christmas time. If I were to murder a man, I would murder him here. Are you sure this is the right word, alcoves? Alcoves, yes. Kind of like nooks and crannies. Nooks and crannies, yes. <laughs> I I love that bit of dialogue with the alcoves and the nooks and crannies. Oh God, that that is just. I, there's something about it, sort of. What is that word? Where uh, it's like called AMR or something. What is that? AMR or um, it's where certain words affect you in pleasurable or or displeasurable ways. Ooh. Like some uh, people have a very nasty reaction to the word moist. It's very common that they'll oh, make people cringe like uh, nails on a chalkboard. I mean, there's the idea is that you can really be there's by a word for ex- that. I'm with you. You know, you know what I hate. You know mm-hmm. what what word makes me want to blow my fucking brains out mm-hmm. when I hear it? Yeah, luscious. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, and I, not I, in the funny way. When people don't use uh, it in the funny way, but they use it like in the confectioner's kind of way. Like I, this, I just, like, this, uh, this eight year old scotch is luscious. See that, that there's a little bit of humor there. Like you're making fun of Luscious, so I'm like writing you off. But when I read like a food review mm-hmm. and they're talking about like the luscious cheesecakes of this restaurant, I'm like, mm. who's that reviewer? I want to kill him. I just, it's usually a, a even a red thing. People people don't have the nerve to say luscious in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, audibly. Well, yeah, I think it's not just words; it's everything, and it goes both ways. It can give you these sort of pleasurable sensations and these negative sensations. There's something about how Yuri says alcoves and nooks and crannies. Just, I, know. I know. It just makes me feel good inside. It, I really yeah, love that. I, I love totally that wanted to dialogue. go fucking Rome Bruges looking for the alcoves. <laughs> In that park, I, I, I can't pronounce the name of. Yeah, that uh, always cracks me up. So, and, and I also, another bit of dialogue. Uh, he wasn't a great character, but the guy who got his got blinded, sort of the uh, shitty boyfriend of Chloe. Oh yeah, I, guess. I forget his name. Uh, the the dressing down that Harry gives him mm-hmm. about losing his fucking eye is just is fucking brilliant. He's like, he shot my eye out. It's like you're you should consider yourself fortunate that he didn't blow you away. Yeah, he's you very matter of fact. 
and he shot you with your own gun, but he didn't kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it's your fault. And, and I guess that's the nice thing about Harry. He's honest. He's terribly honest. And, and sometimes it's good to have those people in your life, even though they're usually total assholes. So uh, let's talk about the, the I, I, I would call Bruges a character in itself, really. Mm. I mean, it's, it's uh, and, and the whole question that, that one has to ask is, you know, the, the movie is called in Bruges. Why was the film really set in Bruges? Other than that, there, the, the, the screenwriter or the director had a particular um, soft spot for the town. And I, you know, there, there's something about, and maybe this is a whole grass is greener kind of thing. Maybe Europeans have a bitch about their, uh, you know, surroundings. But I just, I get so, uh, what's the right word? And I've gone on about this, about America, the new world, if you will. And it's total lack of cultural character. And uh, I also like <laughs> what's, what's like half culture, half fun. It's like, oh, fuck the culture. I want to have fun or something like that. Like uh, why Ray despises Bruges and why I, I can't quite figure that that part out other than he just doesn't want to be there. You know, well, I think I think that Ray's problem with Bruges is really more of a general the problem he's going through. It's sort of a reactionary. It has just to do with his immaturity. He's just reacting to things because of his his um the state he's in. Yeah. And yeah, I mean I, he's a young guy and he's and he you know, he, I mean, I don't know, I mean he grew up in Dublin and that's pretty yeah. that's got a lot of old buildings in it. I mean but it well, also has a lot of modern stuff too. I, I well anyway I was watching I mean I was watching the the you know the, the I mean obviously the setting is a huge part of this film mm-hmm. and uh, Bruges is obviously a, a highlight uh, for architecture and mm-hmm. atmosphere and and all that and I just I, I just kind of get what's the right word a little heartbroken that I live in the uh, you know this part of the world and hate mail welcome you can you can write me all kinds of letters about how the US is the greatest fucking country in the world and whatever but i i just it like it 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 just leaves us a little bereft in a way i i, I don't know what it is like you know uh, our our architecture our layout of cities is just so inhuman in the US it's just not meant for human beings it's it's meant for Fuck, I don't know. It's just like sort of uh, cement and asphalt diarrhea that uh, commerce and capitalism pushes out onto the world. And um, it just, it's just like watching this movie. It just, it just kind of made me sad a little bit that uh, you know my children aren't going to grow up in a world that has a little bit more character to it. I guess you know, and maybe it makes you value those things a little bit more because you don't have them. And so when you get to see them and experience them, it uh, maybe puts you in a little bit more in tune with them. And maybe that's why I like going to Europe. I mean, if your main issue is just with the car-based nature of the cities, there's East Coast cities that were built pre-car that you could live in, where you could get a little bit of that old world feeling, if you so cared. Well, I've been to the East Coast, and I, I it's, it's still kind of blown out a little bit, you know? It, it's still, you know, whatever... 
vestige was there of all that charm. You know, there's little corners of cities that have a little bit of that. But uh, for the most part, uh, progress is sort of run over it, you know, and uh, and, and that's sort of it. But uh, why Bruges was spared the devastation of World War One, I'm not quite, I don't quite understand. Probably but, just uh, luck in size would be my guess. Yeah, something to that effect. But that's sort of an it's sort of an interesting factoid that it didn't get totally destroyed. <laughs> yeah, Belgium really got the shit kicked out of it. Yeah, in World War I. I call it the cockpit of Europe, I guess, <laughs> and for obvious reasons. But uh, anyway, so uh, we're getting up on the hour. So uh, why don't we hit the review? Ebert reviewed this uh, film February 7th of 2008, giving it four out of four stars. He says the movie is endlessly surprising very and a very dark human comedy. Um, he says every once in a while you find a film like this that seems to happen as it goes along, driven by the peculiarities of the characters. It seems very natural the way the plot moves. Maybe that's what he's talking uh, about. Yeah, right. Um, then he goes on for the majority of his of his review just talking about the plot. I hate when he does this. He talks just talks about the plot of the of the movie. Um, and he has a he has a terrible factual error here that he works for a Dublin crime lord. That their their crime outfit is located in London. They talk about it several times. The only yeah. reference to Dublin is uh, that's where Ray's from. So right. I don't know how we got the, confused there. It's just a shame. Oh, he does that from time to time. Error like that. Um, <clears throat> but he gets to the meat of what he wants to say here uh, in the last couple of paragraphs. I'm going to read a couple of extended uh, bits from there. Eber says, I will say it is not only ingenious, but almost inevitable the way the screenplay brings all of these destinies together. We're uh, just talking about the characters that he goes on. He talks about it at length. Uh, together at one place in time. Along the way, there are times of great sadness and poignancy, times of abandon, times of goofiness, and that kind of sense of humor that is really funny because it grows out of character and close observation. I think I think that's right. I mean, he just gets these characters. I mean, McDonough gets these characters so right. Um, Farrell, in particular, hasn't been this good in a few films, that's a weird sentence, but I think he's just he's yeah. saying that Farrell's really acting better than he's seen before. And he says, and as for Gleason, uh, nobody can play a more sympathetic bad guy. I don't think you could have a more sympathetic bad guy uh, than uh, Ken. Um, yeah, he, I mean, if he's a bad guy at all, I mean, you know. He's talking about McDonough, he says, uh, this is his feature film. Uh, he has made a remarkable first film. As impressive in its own way as House of Games, the first film by David Mamm, which I like and I think Matt does not like. No, I just, it was a little oddly paced for me. I well, think. it's got very Mammoth dialogue. Uh, yeah. It's definitely. very strange. It's a very strange movie. I, I do really like it. And I, I might, even if you don't have a great fondness for it, story, on me. I, I might All do right. it sometime. Um, right. Uh,. He says that this movie, yes, is it's a thriller, but one where the endless ending seems determined by character and upbringing rather than plot requirements. 
two of the final deaths are, in fact, ethical choices. And the irony inspiring the second one has an undeniable logic, which I think we've talked about. Um, we talked at length about this is a movie about moral choices coming from three standpoints. Uh, just a great film. Great dialogue. Yeah, except for Jimmy. Thing. Jimmy didn't deserve to be murdered. That's yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't deserve to be murdered. That kid didn't deserve to be murdered. And um, who else dies in this film? Uh, Does, I, you know, it's a funny thing. I thought that when Ray uh, jumped onto that uh, boat from his uh, near the end of the film, I, I had thought that the driver got shot, but I guess he didn't. I watched no. it really closely. There's another movie where somebody jumps, makes a similar jump like that, and the driver gets shot, but I can't remember what movie that was. Onto There's a barge one. and a river? Yeah. <laughs> like one of those Bourne movies or something? Oh, uh, it could be something like that. It was funny yeah. when I when I saw it, I was certain that that driver was going to get shot, but he didn't get shot, and he was really calm about it, too, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, what are you going to do? Keep moving, right? I keep moving. Uh, there was uh, the end scene with the uh, movie set, the snow, and was a nod to uh, the artist that they had previously uh, discussed in the film, or they had yeah, showed, they showed some pic- Yeah, about the p- some sort of, those are pretty cool, pretty cool. Paintings. And it was uh, uh, I the, the Last the Judgment by Bosch. Uh, yeah, and I forget, like I forget the the guy. And they talk about name. it too. Chloe says it's a Boschian. A, a Boschian, right? right. Yeah. And if you've ever, if you don't know who he is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to Google it up here. Uh, the artist, um, the Last He's Judgment. A, uh, yeah, he worked with I, Banksy, right? Yeah, Banksy. Yeah, they, they were street artists together. Yeah, it was <laughs> East London in the 1400s uh, or something. Hieronymus uh, Bosch. Uh, he he painted these fucking fucked up. Like crazy ass surreal uh, religious triptychs back in like fucking fourteen eighties and shit. I mean, unbelievable stuff. And the last judgment is what they're zooming in on. But then he did another one, uh, the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is just, uh, I think, well, is it the Garden of Eden or is it just that one of the triptychs? Uh, Fuck, I forget. But the uh, far right panel of that triptych, and triptych is just a three-panel artwork, uh, is is so, like if I was on acid, I think I, I would go nuts looking at that Bosch picture. Uh, he is just so, it's like demonic and just demented. And it's weird because like with religious artwork, you know, religious artwork was was commissioned by the church. And you always forget that these people were true artists. They had a need for self-expression. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the problem was is that their sponsors were always the church, right? And so... I mean, there's, nothing, so, there's nothing strange. Artists often work under the yoke of their patron. Well, and, and the church was what had the money. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one could argue that, you know, those medieval church systems were basically a form of, uh, uh, you know, a formalized corruption, uh, a way to aggregate money uh, using religion to do so. But whatever, that's another discussion. <coughs> but they were the only people with money. And so they would commission art, and the art had to be obviously religious in nature. But the artists uh, were able to do unbelievable work, unbelievable amounts of creativity within within that commission. 
And I think Bosch was one of those guys because I'm looking at one of these paintings now and I'm like, this is, I mean, this was painted back then. This is so fucked up. Uh, you know, people today with all our all our information and media at our disposal, I don't think it come up with some of this shit that's as wild as he put out. So I don't know, hmm. just just crazy stuff. I mean, it seemed so. neat to me. I'm not familiar with it. I mean, I enjoyed the close up of the man being flayed. That's always a great. Oh, I don't. That wasn't Bosch. That, well, was that wasn't a Bosch. No, oh. Bosch. Uh, Bosch was just sort of this uh, diorama of hmm. tortured souls. And, uh, you know, sort of in this, uh, underworld, you know, uh, you can, you can go, go, you can go Google or Wikipedia, it. but, uh, that mm. last scene when the snow starts to fall and you get sort of these kind of panicked zooms of some of the, uh, actors with masks on in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the scene there or the movie within a movie was sort of a nod, I guess, cause some of those, uh. Uh, yeah, some of well, I mean, it was pretty straightforward and odd. Yeah, I guess I mean, it was. It was told you to you, right? The movie said we're filming a Boschian dream scene. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, okay. For yeah. some reason, it has yeah, a, there was no allusion to it. It was just uh, obvious. But uh, since it was called yeah. the Last Judgment, I thought it was a little, maybe a little heavy-handed. Uh, 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 oh yeah, I mean, I guess you could find fault there with it. It was very theatrical. Yeah, no, I liked it actually. I thought it was great. And then, uh, mm. yeah, well, I, I had a problem with it. That the movie so went the la- dreamlike there. So the last, uh, so the last question, Ray does sort of survive. He does survive does he? this, right? That's my impression. He, he does survive. Maybe the whole. I don't see why we we don't know that, do we? Uh, a little bit from his uh, voiceover towards the end. Uh, <laughs> I don't I see why. I don't see why that's necessarily the case. But All right. uh, he certainly could have survived. Yeah, I get the impression he did, but hmm. I don't know. Uh, no confirmation either way. So. No, I don't think so. Uh, anything else? Uh, any other uh, little tidbits or or details we may have missed? Um, punching the Canadians. Oh, fuck! Or? I love that smoking scene. That's great. Where he punches the Canadian. Did you eat the Canadian? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and he gets uh, he gets grabbed off the train. And he's like, oh, fuck, uh, you got that's me. A fu- that's a fun twist in the movie. It gets he's like, no, like no, it's just a bunch of fucking asshole Canadians that saw him on the, on the train. So that's <laughs> him. I, thought, I thought that was a pretty funny And he fucking decks his wife, too. Uh, oh, just... she had a bottle. She come at him. Yeah, that's the whole thing with the, the two bottle conversations that comes <laughs> up. I mean, there's some really humorous conversations uh, there between, like, uh, Gleason and uh, Ken and Ray. Especially when oh, talking man. about coming at him with a bottle. Really great stuff. I have been mistaken for a Canadian in Europe, which I I put as a, a feather in my cap of a, a, a experienced tourist that I can be mistaken for a Canadian without actually having to wear a Canadian flag on any of my baggage. I find, uh, you know, oh, is it, yeah, it's a really it's it's that onerous to just be known as an American. You don't have to be like some guy from Texas. I mean, I remember some really loud Americans. When I was having like a dinner, when I got into, was it, where was it? Um, um, Where'd you go, Mr. Hudson? Oh, no, it was when I first got into um, Austria. Oh, okay. We went to a restaurant, you know, and I was with some, we were a more quiet group, but there were some really loud Americans from like 
Texas or something. They were just oh, fuck it. Always fucking just, Texas. They were man. just hooting it up. They were having a fine time. I don't. I don't think uh, people need to be so self conscious about it. But uh, they were, you know, sort of standard. But I mean, look, that's tourists. I mean, you can call Americans asshole tourists. I think that well, the asshole I'd say Chinese, Chinese and Russians. Does. Chinese and Russians are, are aren't doing themselves any favor but in the fucking world of Tourists are always sort of assholes. I mean, it's just part of the nature of being a tourist. You don't know what you're doing. I mean, uh, you don't have to be an asshole, but it's just so easy to be an asshole. Uh, I would say Japanese are some of the better tourists I've heard. Uh, we were staying in a, in a hotel in a, uh, Reykjavik, and uh, we were having dinner at the hotel. It was a kind of a remote hotel. It was out by the Blue Lagoon. And, uh, anyway, the, 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 the server, she came up to us and was like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's just us. It's, and then the Japanese and it's like, oh, they're so polite. Oh, we just love the Japanese. They're so polite. So nice. Mm. I guess Japanese are, are, are coveted tourists cause they're extremely polite and gracious. <laughs> uh, where other tourists, uh, I, I, Russians I, I heard are, are some of the worst, uh, um, I have always a problem with the Chinese because there's always about 20 of them. They never come any any fewer. And um, they're sort of mobbing, and they take too many photos. Uh, they, they they get too many awkward, like, i got to pose with this, i got to pose with that sort of souvenir moments. That, well, we should uh, have a tourist asshole off between uh, uh, Anyway, but the no, Russians the American the tourist, really, if, if there's any Americans uh, listening to this, uh, the easiest way that, that to be – not perceived as an ugly American, ugly American. Well, for starters, don't wear fucking white tennis shoes. Do yourself a fucking favor. If you're going to Europe, do not wear white tennis shoes. Wear some black walking shoes. You really think it makes that, that big of a difference? It's fucking half the battle, man. I was what, in like, what the what what is your what the fuck does what you wear on your feet have anything to do with you being an asshole tourist? Because you, it, for starters. You, well, well, I mean, for what, starters, how could somebody possibly be offended by your shoes? You know, well, for starters, no, it's a prejudice. And if those works. people are offended by it, they can go fuck themselves no, right up man. the ass no. with a bald eagle. Uh, I'm just, I'm okay. This, this is what I'm saying: is it's if you don't want to build prejudice, just it, like if you had, it's white tennis shoes are like you might as well sew an American flag on 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 your shirt or something. Well, I I, because, I I just really don't get where you're coming from, man. On this, do 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 you not want to be automatically tagged as a, as, a, as an American? I am. Maybe an you American. do. Maybe you're into that shit. I'm not. I'm I not, don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to wear a t-shirt that says these these colors don't bleed. Well, all right. <laughs> if you don't want to do that, then don't wear white tennis shoes. All right. In fair your, enough, man. Just don't do it. And okay. because you're, because every time I've when I was in the Louvre, I would look around and I would find like somebody with white tennis shoes and I would walk up and I would just kind of look at the painting they were looking at and I'd, I'd wait for him to say something mm-hmm. and then I would just confirm myself. I mean, what would and, they say? And, and, and they would just say something. I don't get all this French accent. art stuff. No, they would just say something like with an American accent to each other and I'd be like, ah, my smugness has been vindicated. <laughs> Man, you are you are just bleeding you are bleeding Seattleiteness right now. Just it's just coming out of your pores. See, and people pick on me for beating up on white Seattleites, and I'm just like confirming everybody's prejudice against us. <laughs> Leave me alone for fuck's sake. Oh, anyway, no, I just no. I Americans broad. I, I, it's just so easy not to 
to to throw out. So get you know. get some brown tennis shoes. Is that what you're telling me? Fuck anything but white, man. Look, I don't. Look, I don't, I don't own shoes. a pair of white tennis shoes. You're fine. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's half the fucking battle over there. All right, I won't wear my white tennis shoes. My I won't wear my mesh uh, half mid drift tee, and I won't wear my acid west jeans. I'm just saying this. If if there's any Americans listening, planning a trip to France. Uh, throw out your white tennis shoes, and I guarantee you won't come back from your trip thinking the French are assholes. And, and just say bonjour when assholes. you go in a place. Say bonjour <laughs> and don't wear white tennis shoes, and you're fucking fine. That's uh, it. That's all I just, I'll just be drunk. I think that's the best way to go through uh, tours. Oh, then they'll just think you're German. So that's all. <laughs> <laughs> or Scandinavian, one of the two. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. All right. Uh, I think we're about out on In Bruges. Um, we don't have the movie tagged for next week, people. So this is going to uh, be a mystery. Mark, Mark's uh, working on it. Should we? Should we? Facebook I was going to do it? Mac and me, but uh, Matt put the X and A on that. Fuck, man. You know, there's nothing. Nothing I hate worse than puppets that don't have any fur on them. I just I don't want to see that shit. We're you doing E.T. Like, the extraterrestrial. Matt hates oh, the worst. furless animatronic. The fucking beings. worst furless <laughs> fucking puppet. You shut up, penis breath. <laughs> Nothing endearing about that goddamn alien at all. By the way, yeah. that was always uh-huh. like a, a soft spot. People have a soft spot for E.T., but nobody ever fucking watches it. I never see it on TV. Nobody's into it. It is what weird, happened. isn't it? I mean, you seem like there'd be like a... A re-release, or uh, that uh, uh, Spielberg would go back and like CG the living shit out of that. George binks it up, or it would get some TNT FX airplay. I mean, I see the Goonies on every other fucking weekend, and it came out on roughly around the same time. Kids movie, mm-hmm. you know. But I never, I never see ET. It I is think, weird that I don't see it. That's strange. You know what I think? It's really a I shitty think, movie. I think it's a shitty movie. And Spielberg knows it's a shitty movie, mm-hmm. and so he's somehow like sitting on any of the rebroadcast rights. That's why I never see Schindler's List on TV. Yeah, it's a shitty movie. <laughs> Can you say Schindler's List is a shitty movie? Is that even within the realm I mean, of, of List? Is all right. I don't, I don't know. It's it's got its pluses and minuses. I don't know. It's not. It, those aren't two of the better Spielberg movies. I would say. No, but yeah, E.T. Is, to me is a mystery. Why Why E.T. is sort of buried under a... Um, uh, everybody With that, all the video games in that uh, landfill down in New They Mexico. found them, man. They dug that shit up in <laughs> no, Alamogordo. They were selling them for quite a bit of money. I've been to Alamogordo. Mm-hmm. I have not a clue why you would bury video games there. I was I like, there was well, probably I mean, just a landfill there, I think, was what it was. I they were guess. just They put them in the dumpster behind the office and then they got taken out there with the rest of the garbage and dumped maybe no they didn't go out there like in the middle of the night with a couple of of, uh you know dead dead hobos they killed at the same time that's right in a shallow grave this went to the municipal landfill well ham the first chimp launched into space is buried in alamogordo so maybe there's some sort of uh i don't know conspiracy afoot or something Mm. i've seen ham's grave in alamogordo I'm 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 a big ham fan. Are they? Do they? Know. Is it buried near all the grays that they got off that uh, spaceship that they captured back in '67? <laughs> no, there's a few unmarked graves at the Air and Space Museum there that I haven't been able to suss out their identity. So still TBD. But Ham is right there. He's buried, and uh, I get all Tyler Durdeny thinking about the the first monkey shot into space. 
So was Tyler Durden talking about the first monkey? Show? Yeah, He's man, crazy. that was like the oper- What was it? Uh, what did he call his operation? Uh, what was the uh, uh, the space monkeys? Hmm. You know, everybody that, that like, yeah, the, 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 I forget what the fuck. Can't remember that movie now. I have to I have to go listen to our old review. <laughs> yeah, number thirty. Everybody, go back and check out that podcast. It's a classic. All right, so uh, have a good Christmas, and until next week. They're not going up there. Hey guys, I wouldn't go up there. It's really narrow. Screw you, motherfucker! Americans, isn't it?